Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians this morning. And uh, in chapter number one, 1 Corinthians chapter number one, and if you were with us um, last week, then you're here and we started a brand new series uh, studying the book of 1 Corinthians. And of course, uh, this is a letter. We learned a few of these things last week, and so uh, just kind of by way of introduction and, and a little bit of recap, uh, this is a letter from uh, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul written to the church at Corinth. And uh, we, of course, remember... <clears throat> Excuse me, we remember and probably can uh, uh, recall a few of the things that we learned last week about Corinth. Uh, man, the town of Corinth, what an incredible place. If you were to go and, and try to uh, get your slides set up, then things would probably might work. There we go. Uh, if you were to go to uh, study Corinth a little bit, you would discover uh, just an incredible place that it was. It was a place of opportunity. Uh, Corinth was a place of, of great immigration. It was a place of strategic economic wealth. And you can remember uh, that it was settled on the, we, we gave the word last week that it's on, on an isthmus. Remember the word isthmus? Say it with me. Ready? Isthmus. Yeah, some of you can't pronounce it either. Uh, so don't make fun of me when I mess up Bible words. That's all I'm saying. Uh, you know what? It's on the Isthmus. It was uh, near, and you can go to uh, the, uh, the map and recall uh, where Corinth was. Of course, the Isthmus would just be a, a little four-mile stretch of land that would connect uh, northern Greece to, to southern Greece. And of course, Corinth was the, the capital city of that region, the Achaei region. And, and we learned last week of just the incredible place that Corinth was. It was a beautiful place. Corinth was a place of much population at this time. We believe that, many scholars believe that there would be probably uh, near 500,000, listen, 500,000 living in or, in or around Corinth at that time. Uh, just think about that. Many of us, uh, maybe you've been over to Spokane, and I know probably everybody in here has been to Spokane. The greater Spokane areas, uh, really about 500,000. The city limits and all of that, I, I think it's about 300 right now, but that area, probably 500,000. Can you imagine? Can you imagine 500,000 people living, living not necessarily in the Isthmus, but in or around that region? 500,000 at that time is just crazy. We found out last week that many of them were, uh, many of them were retired military. Because when Julius Caesar had set up Corinth about 100 years before this, he had said, hey, listen, anybody, anybody can, be, can uh, move there. And if you're a military, retired military, you can live there free of charge. All expenses paid. And man, all the military moved there. They also said that any slave that had bought their own freedom, remember, it's said that at this time in the known world, one out of every, I think it's one out of every three people were slaves. One out of every three or one out of every five at this time were slaves in the known world. Roman Empire, they had a lot of slavery. And of course, we can recall and we can remember that those slaves, when they bought their own freedom, it, it was, you couldn't really go from uh, uh, ruin to riches in one generation. You couldn't do that. 
But what was taking place, listen, what was taking place with Corinth is you could do that. You could move to Corinth and you could go from ruin to riches in one generation. Man, Corinth was the place to be. But we also discovered that Corinth was a very, very wicked and very immoral place. Because of where it was located, we know that all of the commerce that came through and all of the trading that took place in Corinth, but with that trade and commerce would bring people from all over the world. It really, Corinth was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like a, a melting pot, if you will. With that, all of these different people from all over the world, they would bring their religions. They would bring their immorality. They would bring their uh, licentiousness. They would bring their, their wicked devices. They would bring just a wicked lifestyle. And of course, we saw this a little bit last week, but Corinth was known for the Agora, the largest shopping mall in the known world at the time. It would just be a marketplace, largest one in the known world. But Corinth was really known for the Acropolis. Well, what was the Acropolis? Well, it started out as just a fort, that mountain behind the Agora. You can see it in the picture. But the Acropolis is actually where there was a temple. And the temple that was there was the temple to Aphrodite. Aphrodite, the, the goddess of love, is what she's referred to. But really, it's just the goddess of lust. And, and because of this temple, we talked about this last week. And again, not in depth at all. But this temple was known for having over a thousand prostitutes that were hired, that were slaves. They had no choice in the matter uh, because it was their form of worship to Aphrodite. And, and really because of this, I mean, you, you can only imagine with all of the, uh, the trafficking that would be going on and all that could be taking place, what the city of Corinth then was like. We calculate, many believe that there was probably uh, seven to nine temples in Corinth, probably more to seven to nine different gods. So while Corinth was the place to be and have a lot of opportunity, it really was a very wicked, carnal place. As a matter of fact, at that time, if you wanted to be really derogatory towards somebody, I mean, if you really wanted to go low and call them a name that, that would just be completely degrading, you would say, oh, oh, you're a Corinthian. That, that was one of, it, it's interesting in history. I mean, historians write about this. You know, you think of all the names that, that, that people call each other now and all of the put downs. Uh, the worst back then was, oh, you're, you're a Corinthian. That tells us how low of a place it was. But <clears throat> what we find taking place in Acts chapter 18 and we briefly looked at it last week, is Paul coming into this town. Man, Paul comes into this town, and here you have this, this missionary, this preacher, this church planner that comes in, and, and he came in. You go read Acts 17 and 18. Paul uh, comes into Corinth, and he is discouraged. He's come from Athens. He's been through a lot. He's discouraged, but when he gets there, man, God comes to Paul, uh, and through God's word, he says to Paul, hey, preach to these people and don't back down because I have a lot of people that are going to believe on me in this wicked city. In Corinth, people are going to believe on me. And so Paul, he spends 18 months. 18 months while he's there, he joins up with this young, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. 
This husband and wife, uh, Aquila being uh, the husband, Priscilla being the wife, this husband and wife team, they were tent makers. And they joined up with Paul and, and they began to, of course, I believe Paul led them to the Lord and, and they began to be discipled and God used them in an incredible way. As a matter of fact, Paul would later write, uh, I believe it's in the book of Romans and in one other, one other of his epistles, one other of his letter, 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 <laughs> one other of his letters, Paul said that uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they were the greatest couple that he'd ever worked with. He said, matter of fact, they laid their lives on the line for my sake. Time and time again, they just gave of themselves so that I could be effective in ministry. <clears throat> well, here's what we need to know today that'll help a few of the verses just kind of click a lot quicker. When Paul was in Corinth, after 18 months, he left and he traveled to Ephesus. You'd go across the Aegean Sea to the, the port city of Miletus, and from there, he would travel to Ephesus. He took with him Priscilla and Aquila, they went as well. Paul left some leadership at Corinth. When Paul got to Ephesus, he was there for a little bit of time, and then he left and went on a journey back to uh, his home, which would be Antioch, northern Antioch. Antioch of Pisidia is what it's often referred to, and then probably even a little bit of a trip to Jerusalem. And Paul was gone for about a year. Now, during that time, Aquila and Priscilla, they're still in Ephesus. They meet a man. This man's name was Apollos. Apollos was a believer. He, he knew about Jesus, but he only knew a little bit. He didn't know a lot of doctrine. He didn't know a lot of, uh, about the life of Christ and everything. And he, he was preaching one day, and he was a great orator. He was a great, a great preacher, but he just didn't have a lot of truth, didn't have a lot of doctrine that he was preaching. It was kind of just, uh, it was kind of one of those great messages that were said, but not a lot of depth in it. And Aquila and Priscilla, they heard him. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that they, they helped him understand doctrine and truth more accurately. They helped him dig into it. So now Apollos, he's a, not only a great preacher, but he's preaching great truth. Well, Apollos would travel back to Corinth. And Apollos would become the pastor of the church at Corinth for a little bit of time. He would begin to teach and to lead and to help many of the believers in Corinth. Apollos would later leave. Paul would return to Ephesus. And just, just real quick, I'll tell you kind of what, what happened. Paul was in Ephesus. He heard that the church at Corinth was having some struggles. And so he wrote to them a letter. We don't have a copy of that letter. He wrote to them a letter, and you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It refers to his first correspondence with them. We don't have the very first letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He wrote to them and corrected them on some things. We don't know what was said, but we know uh, a few things that were said. But about a year went by. Paul did some more traveling. Paul came again to Ephesus, and he found out again from Apollos, who now is in Ephesus with him, and from the household of Chloe, We'll see this, just a, somebody who had a house meeting in the church or people from the church that were a part of, uh, people from her house that were a part of the church. He hears things aren't getting better. Things are getting worse. And they tell him, Paul, there's a, there's a lot going on. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that they actually not only, not only did he hear that things were bad from Apollos and from the household of Chloe, but they actually sent, the church at Corinth sent a delegation, three leaders uh, uh, Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, and uh, Achaicus, they sent three leaders 
to Paul, all the way from Corinth to Ephesus, to say, our church is going through struggles. Help us. That's why we have 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul would write. In the book, he writes about some very challenging things. Remember, I told you last week a few of the things. I mean, there's, there's immorality going on. There's a lot of fighting going on. Uh, things were so bad that Paul literally has to call out one man for, for, for having relationship with his stepmom. I mean, that's how bad things are. It's a, rough, it's a rough group of people. And so Paul writes to them what I believe is the theme of the book of Corinthians, that you're in the world, but not of the world. If you know Christ as your Savior, you, you live in a culture that may be bad, you live in a corrupt culture that may be horrible. You live where things may be not going well. But just because culture is going downhill doesn't mean the Christian needs to go downhill. Just because culture is corrupt and just because we see all these struggles in, in and around culture, that culture should not influence the church. And, and boy, you look at Corinth, and we're going to make the connection often through our series. Uh, the, the town of Corinth really reminds me of America. It really does. I mean, it's a great place of opportunity. It's the place to be. It's where everybody, I mean, you could go from ruin to riches in one generation. And there's, uh, there's, great, uh, um, uh, there's a, a great climate of just seeing economic growth and all of that type of stuff in America. But the truth is that we live in a very immoral nation. We live amongst a very corrupt culture. But here's what we need to know today. What we looked at last week was the simple truth that Paul said to the church, hey, listen, when you got saved, when you trusted Christ as Savior, you got all that you need to live as a Christian in a corrupt culture. You got everything you need. Well, what did you get? Well, you and I, we got, uh, we got a brand new, we got salvation and sanctification. We are drawn close to God. We got a new purpose. Man, when you trusted Christ as Savior, God says, I give you a new purpose. We got grace. Man, every one of us need grace. What is that grace? It's that strength to carry on day after day after day after day. It's the ability to just move forward and make decisions and know God is with me. Hey, when you trusted Christ as Savior, God gave you grace for every single positive and negative that you're going to face in life. Man, isn't that a good thing? What an exciting thing. We don't go through this life on our own. And that's where Paul starts last week. But this week, Paul starts to kind of get after him. He starts to get after him, and, and he does it in such a way that is, is so loving. <laughs> he, he really does. It, it's so loving. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, I want you to see it with me, all right? So take your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and why don't you stand with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and I just want us to read one verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and just one verse to start this morning, and that's verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and, and verse number 10, we read these words. Now, I beseech you, brethren, I beseech you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. If you have siblings, did you ever hear your parents say, can't you all just get along? You remember that? 
Well, as we come this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter number one, what we're finding Paul doing is saying, hey, can't you all get along? Hey, there's been some divisions. There's been some fighting. There's been people doing what they believe is right, seeking after worldly wisdom. There's been people making decisions and going through living out their own purpose. Hey, you are children of God. You need to learn we've got to be of the same mind, the same judgment, the same spirit, the same purpose. Can't we all just get along? I think tonight, I think this morning will help us. I think it's going to encourage us. And so this morning, let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us today, and then we'll get right in the message. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would take a minute, and would you just in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God, God, please speak to me. God, please speak to me. And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me today, I'm, I'm listening to you. God, if you speak to me today, I'm going to listen to you. And I'll make a decision. I'll make a decision based on how you speak to me. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the word of God. I pray that you would help us this morning as we uh, make our way through the passage. I pray, Lord, that you would give us your wisdom. God, I pray that you'd help my mind and my heart today. And I pray, Father, that... As I, as I speak, that you would uh, speak to me. Lord, I need you. I, I need your help. I need your grace and your uh, forgiveness. And I need your mind and your purpose. And Lord, I pray that you would help me today to just uh, convey exactly what you want. Help us as listeners to receive what you want. And then, Lord, I pray that if there's someone that does not know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> if you have siblings, you've heard that phrase, can't we all just get along? Can't you all just get along? I've, I've told the stories often, but I grew up in a home with uh, two older siblings, one eight years older than me, Dina, and the other 11 years older than me, Dawn. And so I tell people that I was just raised by three mothers uh, because really that's what it was. And, and you you think I'm kidding. I'm not. When I was five, Dina was 13. Don was 16. And uh, I mean, that was my life. My life was being raised by my real mom and then my mom, Don, and my mom, Dina. And uh, so I didn't hear too many times, can't we all just get along? I just heard, Dennis, shut your mouth. That's kind of the things that I heard. Not from my dad. He was always on my side. Thank you, dad. But if you have siblings, you've probably heard that. If you've coached a team, you've probably said that. If you've been a part of a team or a, a group of people trying to do anything or accomplish anything, you've said it or you've heard it. A few years ago, I coached for the uh, very first, I've been coaching since I was 18 different teams. But uh, a few years ago, my very first experience of coaching girls happened. And uh, one of the Christian schools said, hey, would you coach our girls' basketball team? We don't have anybody. Could you at least help with it? And I was like, <laughs> ain't no way on God's earth that I'm going to coach a girls' basketball team. And they were like, please, we, we're desperate. We'll, it'll just be for a couple of weeks. We'll get somebody. Yeah, just so you know, that was a lie, okay? Uh, but anyway, I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll coach this team. And I'll be honest, I'll be honest, it wasn't that bad of an experience. However, there was this one day. This one day I came into practice, and I, I, didn't, I don't work at the school. I wasn't around the school. I didn't know what had happened at the school. But I'm not exaggerating to say that I came into practice, and there was little groups of our basketball team, two or three over here, three or four over there, four or five over there, one or two over here. And they're all talking. Half of them, half of them are crying. I'm not exaggerating. Half of them are crying. 
and the other half are just looking meanly at the, you know, at the groups. They're all looking at each other. And I walk in, I blow the whistle. I'm like, all right, come on, gather around. And they come in, they come into the huddle and they're not even, I mean, uh, listen, God is my witness. They were doing this in the, in the little group. You know, we had 12 or 15 players. They're like this. <laughs> and, they, and then they look at somebody and then they go, <laughs> I just can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know. And I'm like, y'all are about to run. You know, as a coach, it's just your punishment, right? Today's punishment. What are we doing? We're running. Why? Because I feel ticked off today. And I remember I was like, all right, what's going on? And one of them, one of them, the one that wasn't crying, she was, she was stable. She was like, they all got in a fight today at school, coach. And they all look at her. And she's like, what? You did. You're all acting like a bunch of babies. And I was like, Yeah! you know what? We're there in this huddle. You know what I said to him? I was like, hey, we're never going to win a game. We're never going to accomplish anything until we can get along. And that whole day, that whole day, I paired up the girls who fought with each other. And I was like, my goal today, I I might not make you best friends, but I'm going to help you get along. You uh, You ever had somebody in your life come alongside you and they have to tell you something hard, but they do it in a loving way. You ever had that happen? What I find today when you look at this passage, I love the wording. And, and we're going to, today, verse number 10 is our springboard into verse 11 all the way through verse number 31. It, it all connects. So we have to catch verse number 10. When Paul says, now I beseech you, That word beseech you is the word parakaleo, all right, parakaleo. It means to come alongside. It means to put your arm around somebody. Leo, come here real quick. Leo, come here. If Leo and I are talking and I want to be an encouragement to Leo, I'm not going to push him away, right? You're not, as a friend, if you want to be an encouragement to somebody, usually you're going to, you're going to, maybe you shake their hand, but true friends, you know what you're going to do? You're probably going to put your arm around them. Maybe Leo's going through a hard time. Maybe Leo's struggling. Maybe Leo, whatever, whatever the case might be. You know, I need to do as a friend. Maybe it's me. You know, what Leo needs to do as a friend. Leo needs to say, hey, pastor, put, put his arm around me and kind of kind of bring, bring me in. You know why? Because, hey, Leo, I'm about to tell you some hard things. Hey, Leo, you've been beating me too much at ping pong. Oh, <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Listen, you, you, might, you might have something hard that you're about to say. What, how are you gonna say it? You're gonna draw the person in. In verse number 10, that's what Paul is doing with these believers. He's drawing them in to say to them, hey, hey, you're not going to accomplish anything in this corrupt culture. You're not going to help anybody. You're not going to be helped. You're going to be miserable unless we all get along. In the passage, Paul encourages them in a number of ways but three specific ways I want us to see this morning of Paul encouraging them to be unified, to have unity, to, to get along. And this morning, I, I'm not going to pretend like there's, uh, there's some, I was going to have this at the end of the message, I'll probably say it again, but 
pastor, can't we all get along? Is there fighting going on at the church? Not that I know of. I don't know of any. Well, did you hear about fighting in that family? No, I didn't. What I think this message could be for us is a message to help us understand that if we're not unified with the Lord and unified with other believers, we're just going to be running in circles. But I don't know about you, I, I want my life to count. And I think you do too. But your life and my life won't count unless we're unified with him and unified, united with each other. So I want you to take your Bible this morning and I want you to look with me at a few thoughts today. Paul, this phrase, I beseech you, brethren, that I come alongside you, puts his arm around these believers. And it's almost like he's saying, notice the phrase, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm coming alongside of you. I'm putting my arm around you. And because of Jesus's sake, because of Christ, because we're a Christian, because we all know the Lord, I want to challenge you with a few things. What's he challenging them, challenging them with first? Well, I see first of all today, Paul challenging them, be unified in your identity. Be unified in your identity. Notice verse number 10 again, when Paul says this, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the, th- the same thing, that there be no divisions. Do you see that there in verse number 10? Speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. Notice how Paul continues. Go to verse number 11. Verse 11 down through verse number 16, Paul talks about being unified in your identity. Verse 11, for it hath been, it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, And I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? What was Paul crucified for you, or, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Man, I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. When you look at verse 11 down through verse number 16, again, go back to verse number 11, Paul says, it's been told to me that there's some contentions among you. Well, what was the contention? Well, the contention was, remember we spoke about Apollos a little bit ago? The contention was this. There were groups within the church. We can gather this from all of the passage, the entire book of Corinthians. The entire book of Corinthians addresses strife, contention, division, and infighting. That's what it addresses. Apparently, there was a bunch of uh, fighting based upon association. You see it there? Some of you say, I'm of Paul. Hey, uh, I got led to the Lord by Paul. I'm, I, I follow Paul as he follows Christ. He started this church. He was here first. Others of you say, well, psh, no, 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 no. I'm of Apollos. Remember Apollos, the great preacher that's here that, 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 that comes in and speaks? I'm of Apollos. Others of you, you say, I'm of Cephas, of Peter. I'm of Cephas. I, 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 man, the person that I follow as they follow the Lord, that, that's Cephas. He was around before Paul was ever around. And some of you go, oh, yeah? Well, I'm of Christ. Huh. 
What was going on? Well, in verse 11, there's, there's the word divisions. In verse 12, or excuse me, in verse 10, there's the word divisions. In verse 11, there's the word contentions. That word would be the word where we get our word uh, schism. Division would be, uh, the Greek word would be schism or to be rent or to be ripped. All right, now don't miss this illustration this morning, the thought. The word rent or ripped would be a Greek word, the same word that they would use for division, schism, and all of this, would be the same word that they would use to describe torn nets for a fisherman. Now, fishing back then was not like fishing now, right? Fishing now, you get really nice boats, you go out, you have, uh, you know, three or four, you know, rods and, and reels and your line and you drop them in and, and you, you just kind of hang out, you know, and, and you sip your Coke or your lemonade and you, you talk and, man, I had a great day on the lake fishing, you know, and come back and you're like, can, can you work around the house? No, I'm tired from fishing, you know, <laughs> It was a real rough day sitting on my boat, you know, a real rough day sitting on that. Some of you are like, Pastor, you're picking on me. I just got back from fishing. I know some of you are giving me those fish, and I'm very thankful Tom lost, but I'm not picking on you. <laughs> but fishing today, fishing today is not like then. Listen, listen, fishing today is, fishing then was, was totally different. You know, you went fishing then as you, you went in your boat, your ship, your, your, your little small boat, and you threw out nets, and then you tried to drag those nets for a little bit with that boat, hoping the wind and the sail would help you. If not, then you would row a little bit, or maybe you would stay in one spot, and then after some time, you would begin to, you would begin to manually pull those nets in. That's why we find when Jesus met a few of the fishermen, what were they doing? They were on the side, and they were mending their nets. Remember, they were mending their, what were they doing? They were mending the rips in their nets, the schisms in the nets, the, the tears within the net. Why? Because what good is a net in fishing if it's got holes? It, it, oh, you can cast that net all you want. You, you might get one or two that just kind of get caught in there, but you're not going to be effective. That's the wording that Paul uses when he uses the word division and contention. He says, hey, listen, you guys are arguing over all of these things. You're arguing over association, but you're missing the thought. Was Paul crucified for you? Did, did, did you come to know faith in Paul? Is that what saved you? Do you see that? Verse number 13. Look at verse 13. Is Christ divided? Hey, is there, is there schisms in, in the call of Christ? Was, uh, was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, is Christ divided? No, no, there is but one Christ and therefore Christians should be of one heart. Hey, you should, have, you should be unified in your identity. You see, but instead what they were doing they were arguing and fighting and had all of this contention going on because of association. They were trying to identify with a certain leader. And Paul is saying, no, your identity is completely in Christ. When you got saved, you weren't saved because of Paul. When you got baptized, you weren't baptized into the name of Paul. He says, no, when you trusted Christ as Savior and and." 
remember here, and some, some people, I'll just say this real quick. Some people try to read into this passage, just that verse, and they try to say that, well, see, Paul is saying that baptism is part of salvation. That's not true, okay? Baptism, being baptized in the the water, has no part of your salvation. It has part of just identifying with Christ. Wait, let me say that word. Let me me say that word again. Identifying with Christ. Identity. What they were struggling with was identity. You see, when you trust Christ as Savior, all you need for salvation is to put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But when you go through life, you're going to take on different identities. And, and we like to define ourselves by identity. A lot of people do that now. Define themselves by identity, right? I mean, well, I'm, uh, I'm this type of, of an American. Well, I'm, I'm this gender. Well, I'm this. Well, I'm that. That's my identity. And, and there's a lot of that going on. And in the church, it might be, well, uh, I've, known, I've known them the longest. I've been coming here the longest. Well, I've been giving the longest. Well, I've been. And there might be that type of, of division or contention in our own hearts. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, don't find your identity in other people or in anything you do, find your identity in Christ. I love how one man said it, and I hope we'll catch the statement today. The ground is level at the cross of Jesus Christ. Man, there's no higher ground. You know, it's not like, well, I'm on this little nub. <laughs> you guys are all, you're an inch lower than me. No, at the cross of Jesus, it's level. Our identity should be in him. You know, what's sad is that all too often in the Christian life, we allow things, listen, and, and I'm gonna step on some toes this morning and I don't, I'm not trying to be mean, but sometimes we allow foolish things to divide us. I'm gonna probably, I'm saying it. COVID divided Christianity. And the political climate of 2020 divided Christianity. Well, I think you should wear a mask. Well, I think you shouldn't wear a mask. Well, I think you should. Well, I think you shouldn't. Well, I think you should. Well, I think you shouldn't. Well, I think you... Fine, I'm leaving. Really? Well, I voted for Trump. I voted for Biden. I voted for Trump. Well, you're a liberal. Well, you're a conservative. Well, you're a this. Well, you're a that. Really? <clears throat> also, pastor, we shouldn't stand for things. No, no, no. No, that's the, wait, wait. If you've attended this church for any length of time, you know I stand for some things. But most of all, I stand for Jesus Christ. Amen. I... I haven't said this, I, I haven't been ashamed of this or shy about it through COVID, but I wasn't a mask-wearing person. You might have been. Great. I don't want to argue over it. Why? Ready? Kids, close your ears. That's stupid. I'm a, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a conservative Christian. I vote, I, vote for, uh, the leader, I vote for leadership that lines up closest to the Bible. We're never going to have, listen, we're never going to have an elect, we're never going to have a candidate. We have All-American Sunday in four weeks from today. Four weeks from today, All-American Sunday, we invite all of our elected officials and first responders. I will say the same thing on that day that I would say right now. 
we will never have an elect, a, a candidate uh, running for any office that we're like, oh, I agree 100%. Yeah. yeah. You and your wife don't even agree 100%. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm conservative. I believe, I believe in biblical Christianity. I support life. I, we're going to talk more about some of that stuff today. And I'm not trying to just get issue-oriented. I'm trying to just state today that Christians allow themselves to become so divided and so contentious and so ripped, we make the ground unlevel at the cross, and it's about, well, I identify as this, and I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm this. You know what Paul would say when we allow that to happen in our lives? Grow up. Hey, can't we all get along? Hey, hey, is Christ divided? Is, is, did, did, were you crucified under the name of, you know, was Paul crucified for you? No. That's what Paul's getting at. You know what Paul is saying? Hey, find your identity in Jesus alone. It shouldn't be, I'm this, I'm a, I'm a conservative Christian. It shouldn't be, I'm a, I'm a, a, a Hispanic American. I'm an African American. I, it shouldn't be, I'm an African American Christian. I'm a Hispanic American Christian. No, it should be, I'm a Christian first. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm with Christ. I identify with Jesus. You know, Paul is saying, hey, hey, the ground is level at the cross. I hope this morning that we wouldn't let Silly little things cause us, you know, put up your dukes, buddy. Come on, let's go, let's go. You want to go around? Now, again, can we stand for truth? Yes. Have I preached some of those very same things saying, hey, we need to stand for these things? Yes. But there's a such thing as standing for truth with grace in love. Oh, Jesus said some hard things to the Pharisees, didn't he? But do you think Jesus was ever a jerk to the Pharisees? No. Oh, Jesus was straightforward with the Pharisees. Jesus said, man, you're whited sepulchers. You're, listen, you're, you're gravesides, you're gravestones that are white on the outside, but the inside is filled with dead men's bones. Was Jesus trying to like cut deep and like, oh, I'm going to put you down? Yeah, oh. Jesus wasn't doing that. No, Jesus was like, listen, you need to believe in truth and I am truth and you have pharisaical Christianity. You've got all of these tendencies, but you don't have me. Listen, let's not fall into that trap. Be unified. How should we be unified? Be unified in your identity. You belong to Christ. I love how one man said it. He said this, the consideration of being agreed in the greatest person, Jesus Christ, should extinguish all feuds and divisions about minor issues. I love that. And that was written in the early 1900s. <laughs> hey, listen, your, your unity of being in Christ, it extinguishes all other arguments. Oh, again, stand for truth, but do it with grace, do it with love, founded upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. Be unified in your identity. Secondly, today, and we've got to go quickly, I apologize. Be unified in your thinking. Be unified in your thinking. Verse number 10, again, Paul says that you would be perfectly joined together in the same mind. That phrase, same mind, it means having the same thinking and the same intentions. Go with me to verse 17. Notice the passage, we'll read it quickly. Verse 17. For Christ, he, he sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of, of none effect. For or because the, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, to them who are perishing, to them who are dying without Christ, it is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, the preaching of the cross, it's the power of God. For it is written, and he refers to Isaiah 29, 14, I will destroy the, the wisdom of the wise and, and bring, uh, will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Hey, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? That word world means age. Where is the disputer of, of this? Hey, where is the smartest person of this age? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom it knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Because the, the, the Jews, for the Jews, they require a sign. The Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, the message is a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, the message is foolishness. But unto them which are called, unto those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks... Christ, the power of God and the, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is it's wiser than men and the weakness of God is, is stronger than men. What's Paul saying in all of this? Paul's saying to them, hey, I did not come to baptize you to make you a follower of me. No, I came to preach to you the cross of Jesus Christ. Hey, I came to give you the gospel, but I didn't give it to you in wisdom of words. That phrase, wisdom of words, is, is Paul saying, I didn't sugarcoat it. I, I, didn't, I didn't dumb it down. I preached it straight to you. Why? Because I didn't want to make it of no effect. I didn't preach with wisdom of words I didn't preach the, the preaching of the cross in such a way that you would say, wow, look at that man. Wow, look at what he said. No, no, no. I, I preached it raw. We need to remember today that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is raw. It is open and, and undisguised. And the gospel of Jesus is hard to hear. That's what Paul is writing about. <clears throat> the, the gospel of Christ, it's, it's hard to hear. So what do you mean, pastor, it's hard to hear? Well, Let's think about the gospel this morning. Think about the story of Jesus. The gospel states that you and I are wicked sinners who have broken God's law and deserve hell. And there's no way out that you and I, we are condemned to hell because of our sin. People don't like hearing that. And, and as a matter of fact, the gospel is so raw that it says that there was this man. He was, he was conceived by a virgin. He was, he was brought into this world by a virgin, a, a Mary. And he was conceived of holy conception, and there was no man involved. And he was born as a, a baby, and he grew up and lived 33 years. And during those 33 years, he never sinned. He never had a bad thought, never said a bad word. He never, he never Never messed up. And it, it doesn't stop there, though, because this man, he lived that perfect life. He got to the age of 33, and at the age of 33, he went to a cross. Oh, and at this time, 
when Paul would write this, the cross was looked down upon. Oh, nowadays, you know, you put a little cross bumper sticker, you know, and, and you wear the little cross necklace and have your, your little logo on, on social media is cross-related. Back then, you didn't identify with the cross. As a matter of fact, one of the scholars of the time, uh, Cicero, wrote that during that time, it was even against the law for Roman families to speak of the cross within their home. That's how much people looked down upon the cross. Well, this perfect man, he did a bunch of miracles. He taught a lot of incredible truths. He prophesied. But then he was put on a cross. And the cross is not something that we should try to romanticize or try to intellectualize. The cross is really, it is a picture of me and you. Because Jesus went to that cross to pay for sins. And there was, you think about this, there was no, no more uh, helpless position to be in than the position of a cross. When they crucified them, uh, they would crucify a person and put you on that cross with your feet and your hands nailed to the piece of wood. And you would be completely stark naked in front of everybody for the world to see, completely helpless. You can't get yourself down. You can't get yourself out. All you have to look forward to is the fact that you are going to suffocate to death. You've already been beaten to a pulp. You're already there, uh, completely exposed, completely open. I don't know a lot of people that, that would prefer that before people, and, and yet you're, you're barely recognizable as a human being. Listen, the cross of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, it is raw and it is open and it is hard to hear. And to the, to the Jews, Jesus was a stumbling block. Why? What type of Messiah would allow people to do that to him? It's a stumbling block. They, the Jews couldn't get over it. What? No, Messiah is supposed to come and rule and reign. To the Greeks, to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. Oh, so wait, you, wait, wait, wait. You're saying that your God allowed man to put him open like that? That, that, that? That's foolishness. But to those who believe, it is the power of God. Man, it's, it's, it's because of the cross that I'm saved. Man, it's because of the cross that I'm offered grace and offered forgiveness. And when Jesus was on that cross, no doubt you, the song says it, that you and I were on his mind. And I completely believe that. I believe that Jesus thought of every single person. Here you have God in the flesh who had prayed, God, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And upon that cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and those three words, it is finished. Teletelestai. Listen, everything is completely done. You know what Jesus was doing? He was saying, this is completely for you. And so the cross is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God and the wisdom of God to send his son to die for the sin and pay the payment that you and I cannot pay for the wages of sin is death. It is eternal hell, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hey, listen, the cross is foolish, but it's God's wisdom. The cross is weak, but it's God's power. You know what the church at Corinth was doing? They were seeking the cultural wisdom. They were getting caught up. We're going to see this later. Paul's addressing it now, and we can't, we can't tie, the, tie it all together. We'd be here for you know, seven days just in, in chapter one. 
But Paul brings it all, he, he's right now, and he'll bring it all together later down the road. Hey, you are seeking the wisdom of this world. You are trying to gain wisdom and culture. You're, listen, you're allowing your thinking to be consumed like the, the Corinthians thinking. Hey, your thinking should be consumed by the cross. What is Paul doing in this passage? Well, Paul is bringing us back to the cross. He's bringing them back to the cross. He's bringing uh, Christianity back to the cross. One man said it this way. He said, all the valued learning of this world was confounded, baffled, and eclipsed by the Christian revelation and the glorious triumphs of the cross. The cross should be something that you and I come back to all the time. Paul says, where is the wise? Hey, where is the scribe, those who know the law? Where's the Greek that knows wisdom? Where's the Jew who knows the law? Where is the disputer, the smartest person of this age? Hey, God has made their wisdom foolishness. Why, why is Paul bringing it back to the cross? Well, Paul's bringing it back to the cross because just like you and I need to do, we need to come back to the cross over and over and over again. Hey, you, hey, listen, as a Christian, you've got to come back to the gospel over and over again. And I'll say it this way this morning. The gospel is not the diving board into the pool of the Christian life. The gospel is the water itself. It is not the way we start our Christian lives. It is the principle by which we live our Christian lives. You know what the, 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 the gospel is? The gospel is not, it should not be something that is in our rearview mirror. The gospel should be the windshield. It should be that which we look at the, the world through, the lens by which we make every decision should be based upon the cross of Jesus Christ, the understanding that he is, his death, burial, and resurrection was completely for you. Listen, it was completely for your coworker and it was completely for your classmate. And that, that's why every single day in my mind, I should have a unified thinking that says today, I'm going to approach the day with the cross on my mind. It, uh, Corinth, they were approaching the day with Corinthian philosophy on their mind and Jewish scribes on their mind and, and all the cultural wisdom on their mind. And Paul said, hey, no, no. When you go to work, Go to work thinking about the cross and what Jesus did for you. Why? It'll affect how you live through the day. When you speak to that person, speak to that person with the cross on your mind. Why? It's going to affect how you speak to that person. Listen, every single one of us, we need to come back to the cross. Why? Because we have to stop leaning into the wisdom of culture around you and instead listen to the wisdom and the power of the Christ within you. Man, go back to the cross. Paul is saying to these believers, you need to, you need to get along. Be unified. How? Be unified in your identity. Stop trying to be like everybody else. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ is who died for you. Hey, be unified in your thinking. Stop trying to pursue the, the knowledge and the wisdom of, of this world and the, religious, uh, the relig religiosity in this world. Stop looking after all that things. Instead, be unified in your thinking. And lastly today, and very quickly, be unified in your purpose. Be unified in your purpose. Verse number 10, it says that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That word judgment there, it means same purpose and resolve. Notice verse 26 down through verse number 31, and we'll close. Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, 
How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but, but God, he, he's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and, and the base things of the world to, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which, which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that or so that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in what? Let him glory in the Lord. Paul is saying, hey, God has worked this way with the foolishness of the cross, with the weak things of the world, with the baser things. God has done all of this so that he might have the glory. You Corinthian believers, you're trying to live for your purpose. You're trying to claim your identity. You're trying to be led by your thinking. You're trying to adapt to the purpose of the culture around you. You're involved in, in self-glory and self-proclamation and self-promotion, but that is not how God works. No, God, he, he works by using foolishness to confound the wise. He uses, uses the weak to bring down the mighty. He uses the humble and the lowly to bring down the popular and the strong. And he does all of this for the glory of God. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You know what? The purpose of the Christian and the purpose of the church are one and the same. If I were to come alongside you today and say, hey, what's the purpose of Moses Lake Baptist Church? We might get a number of answers. I'd say, all right, what's the purpose of a Christian? We might get a number of answers. But can I say today, the purpose of the church and the purpose of the Christian is one and the same. It's to point to him, to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father. The church should be united in its purpose. It's all about glorifying him. Our unity is in our shared love and our fellowship of Jesus Christ, and our purpose is his glory. This morning, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number one. Paul puts his arm around the believers. He says, hey, I just want to come alongside you, and I want to say some hard things. <laughs> Grow up. Uh, hey, 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 quit fighting. Hey, quit bickering. Oh, quit, quit being divided. Tr quit trying to find your identity in the people around you or in who you follow or in what you proclaim. Quit, quit doing that. No, instead, your identity's in Christ. Hey, quit, quit being consumed by the thinking of culture and putting importance upon what they say is important and, and going about and being led and driven by things that really, in eternity, they're of no value. No, 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 no. Be unified in your thinking. Let everything you look at be seen through the lens of the cross of Jesus. And hey, quit living for your own purposes. Don't, don't, don't do that this week. No, instead, this week, live your life for the honor and glory of God. This morning, I want to say that <clears throat> unity being unified is not uniformity. I'm going to say that again. Unity is not uniformity. 
My friend Kurt Skelly said it this way, all brothers don't have to be twins. All brothers don't have to be twins. Well, pastor, why would you say that? I mean, is there something going on? Is there some sort of a schism in the church? No. No, I just know how my mind works. I know that if I'm not careful, I allow pride to blind me from my real identity. I allow my mind to become consumed with allowing what culture says important to influence me. And I get focused on my purposes and my plans. And today, Paul is encouraging you and I, hey, be unified. Unified in your identity, unified in your thinking, unified in your purpose. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.